You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to a What A Night, part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. You join us after Spurs have just lost 3-0 to Manchester United, but that does mean that it's the end of Nuno Espirito Santo's 17 games in charge of the club. Can't remember off the top of my head what the stat was around the time it took to, to get Nuno in post, but it feels... 72 days. Yeah. And that 124 to, to, to lose him. That was Dan Kilpatrick, the evening standard, and Hunter Godson with the stats. Jude Summerfield, what have you got? Uh, I don't know. Just all that time pining over the decision doesn't look like it's paid off, has it? <laughs> we'll, 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 as ever, we, I feel like we should start by talking a little bit about what happened at the weekend that brought this about. Um, Hunter, you were there. Dan, you were there. Jude, were you there at the weekend? I didn't know. I watched it at home with um with the sound off because I don't like commentators anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did actually hear anyone <laughs> anyone speaking at any point. except except towards the end when they were like Spurs have a big game in the Europa Conference League here, and I was like, I'm turning this off. <laughs> <laughs> you genuinely yeah. have given up on commentary. Yeah, I don't have any favorites anymore. Like none of them do it for me. It's not like it was <laughs> back in the day. I've got nothing left. Yeah. Okay. So you wouldn't if you if you turned commentary off. Do, were you getting crowd atmos? I was going through Twitter and seeing it, and then I'd yeah, <laughs> and then I and then they zoomed in on the on the couple of fellas when um, Lucas went off for Bergie, and I was like, oh, something's happening here. And then I put the sound on for a second, and they're like, they don't like this. This is not good. Um, and then yeah, I just popped back off again. Okay, so maybe maybe Dan and Hunter, you can describe the atmosphere in the stadium. Like, I mean, everyone's seen the results. Spurs lost three 0 It wasn't overly pretty. Spurs didn't have a shot on target in the whole game. But I think it was the atmosphere that was was particularly interesting. Who wants to who wants to go first? Yeah, I would say it was mutinous. It was mutiny. The Spurs fans revolted, um, which. It's kind of unsurprising given the last few years, but I think the trigger point did surprise me, actually. The trigger point being a Lucas Morris substitution. I never thought that would bring down a manager. (laughs) (laughs) That was really greeted by loud boos. There were some boos at halftime, but that's perhaps to be expected. But really, it was the whole stadium um, reacted to that change in about the 54th minute, I think it was. And then there were chants of you don't know what you're doing. And it really felt like a moment that the Spurs fans 
turned on Nuno. Um, there was a small inkling or hint of it at Burnley when they chanted for him to make a sub in the second half. But this was like a full-scale revolt against the manager. Um, and I think, you know, it, it obviously turned on Levy and it, it didn't stop there. There were, there were boos um, full-time as well. There were, there were, it looked like there were jeers for Kane when he um, messed up quite a promising situation. Um, so it was a full-scale kind of revolt against various elements of the club for, for many different reasons. But I think you know, that was really the crucial thing to, um, to prompt Levy and Paratici into action on Sunday, I think. You know, I don't know that it would have happened had the supporters not reacted in that way. Yeah, basically what Dan said there, spot on. I mean, Dan's been to a lot more games this year than I have, but you rarely feel that in a stadium. And when it gets like that, there's... It's hard to sort of win the fans back round. It was, it was vicious. It was quite toxic, and it, and you could see that it was very much leaking onto the pitch. And I don't think there's many managers in the world that can coach a team when the when the stadium's like that. So I've, I I had great sympathy for Nuno, who I think we can all agree was just left to hang out to dry in this situation. And he didn't help himself, but yeah, I mean. There's no coming back from that. When the, when the fans are like that, full-time, booze going around, you know, reports of sort of infighting in the stadium and and players looking like they weren't playing for him anymore. It, it really, I don't see how you can come back for it. And it's funny that before the game, there's a lot of chat about Oli potentially losing his job afterwards, whatever you think about that. I don't think many people believe that Nuno's job was in any sort of jeopardy prior to this game, or at least imminent jeopardy. But the performance was that bad, and the general feeling was that bad. So I understand why they've done it, and the, the, to do it this quickly is is quite interesting. It's kind of surprising how El Sakiko became a prophecy prophecy that was fulfilled. Mm. And I think, as Hunter says, the feeling from the Spurs side was that really Nuno wasn't in nearly as much immediate danger as Oli. I think. Definitely Levy was concerned about performances. Paratici was concerned about results and performances. But there was a feeling at the club before the game that there was an understanding that Nuno would face loads of difficult situations. There was an understanding that they were kind of starting a new cycle, that it was perhaps going to be a long-term thing, that things wouldn't be fixed overnight, and that probably even a defeat you know, wouldn't throw Nuno's job into jeopardy. But I think the atmosphere in the stadium and the reaction of the fans that would have taken Levy and Paratici and the board by surprise. I think that's just changed everything. Jude, where do you sit on the, the kind of the decision off the back of it? Had you got to a point where you were sort of done with Nuno? Uh, I think a lot of um, fans had reached that apathetic, indifferent stage pretty pretty early. And that's sort of what you, what you saw on... Uh, on Saturday, I think it is yeah, quite I'm interesting. So, Jude, I'm uh, so sorry to interrupt, but can you just can you just explain for people? I I think it's something that we as Spurs fans are kind of come to terms with, but maybe for people who don't know, why is that apathy so dangerous? Because it stops it stops you feeling anything for the club you're supposed to love and invest a lot of time into. So when you're you know you're at home on a Saturday night and you're watching. Um, Spurs and they're putting in a performance where they don't know how to build attacks um, from defence or in midfield. They're passing from side to side. The ball's being hoofed up front 
and it doesn't look like there's any particular game plan it's really it's hard to have any sort of visceral emotion towards it and like the way Spurs used to play when they played under Poch it was full-blooded um even like early stages Mourinho when you were like right they're going to counter and you know there, there was something to to uh to really put your hat on and think right this is how we can win a game and it got to the point with Nuno in those um especially with the like the Arsenal defeats and second half of Chelsea and in this United game where there it was clear there wasn't there weren't any particularly strong attacking patterns um players just didn't look like Kane's looking like a little bit of a shadow I think he did reasonably okay in like the West Ham game but he's obviously not firing um and that's yeah that's when it's dangerous and that's when fans start hitting back a fair amount like we saw on Saturday it's actually quite interesting that like um because he like last season Mourinho didn't have fans in the stadium so there was there wasn't that direct pressure on him whenever Spurs put in a poor performance if they lost uh, against like Leicester or um and then you had it at the, at the Villa game at the very end when things sort of got very toxic. Oh no, he wasn't in charge for that one. There are there are a few where it would have been bad. Um but yeah, Nuno just hasn't had that time because Spurs fans are pretty pretty vocal about, you know, getting their displeasure with performances and results out there. That was I mean one of the one of the reasons one of the rumors why Spurs decided to move Mourinho on was because they were worried about the, the reaction at the cup final, weren't they? Well that was rumoured anyway. That the, the people were, were worried that the fans were going to be sort of face to face with Joseph for the first time, and, and, it, and it had all gone quite sour. Um, to go back to what Jude was saying about apathy, I think most people had sort of started saying the same thing. In fact, I said it the other day, and, and a lot of people jumped on it, saying, "I don't watch the cup games anymore. I don't watch the uh, the conference games just because I just I sort of I'm taking over now. I'm not. It's not part of my weekend plan. If I watch it, I watch it. If I don't, I don't." And what it is, it's a continuation of, of what Mourinho left at Spurs, which was no plan, no no direct sort of pattern of play. There's a lot of talk over the summer about what the Spurs DNA is, but essentially Pochettino set an unrealistic standard that that, <laughs> that the club then assumed, well, that's the that's the standard. Well, we all know that he was punching well above his weight most of the time with pittance in comparison to what his uh, people around him were doing. But the apathy that people are feeling, as soon as it starts affecting cup ticket sales, people going to the conference league, people buying the shirts, you know, it may have already affected those ticket sales. The, the, the attendance at the Mura game was, what, like 20,000 odd? And tickets were a tenner. So, you know, if Spurs had a defined style, I used to go and watch games in Poch's early, early years. I used to go and watch all the games that I could just because you knew that everyone in the club at least understood a style of playing football. Whereas now, you, you're not going to go and watch that B-team play. You're not going to pay anything to go and watch that B-team play football because it is a mess. But that's a really good point, Hunter, because of just in terms of the style thing, mm. when Poch was there, even the second string, you knew it wasn't necessarily going to be as strong as the first. And mm. at times, Poch certainly through some games where he could have could have been more aggressive, could have played stronger players. 
but you knew what the style was, right? You mm-hmm. really, really knew that even if a young player was coming in, he would be expected to press within an inch of his life and abs- give everything that he had, even if he could only play 50, 55 minutes. I mean, Poch famously never made soft before 60, so but I hope to cling on for that last five. But, um, <laughs> but it, you knew exactly what you were going to get, regardless of what team went out. And I don't know about you guys, but I certainly felt that when we were putting out second string teams, I mean, there's particularly that middle period there where Nuno said, right, I'm going to rest the entire first team. I found it hard to recognise the, the second team in terms of the team that went out and lost against the Tess. I, I don't know about you guys, I, I, I sort of really struggled with that second team that, that went out there. It's the same as the first team, though. Uh, I think I think that I mean I, I don't mean that in a, a sort of derogatory way, but it, that if you if you ask most Spurs fans and Spurs pundits and journalists alike, what was the what was the Spurs style of play? What was the aim in possession? Out of possession, it's slightly clear. In possession, what is the Spurs plan? There wasn't one, and that was and again, this isn't Nuno's fault, right? He's been in charge for three three four months. He has a minimal part of blame here. These players have been badly coached now for since since Pochettino left, and there's been a restructuring, and there hasn't been a good decision made. And that what you're seeing is a continuation of a, a manager who doesn't have a, a defined style. And it, and because of that, it was bad to watch. It was bad to watch under Mourinho, especially in the, the latter stages. And it just felt like it just sort of moved over. But if anything, we became more conservative and, and worse at getting the ball into the final third. I, 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 yeah, I definitely agree with that. I do think as well there is um, there's a little bit that seems to have gone under the radar here and been a little bit missed. Do you guys remember in pre-season, it looked as though Nuno had kind of decided the style of play that he was going to go after, and it was very, very narrow. He sort of had three very central midfielders who were playing very tight and then three up top who were playing very tight. And then he was looking to drop one out of the front line to almost do this mirror pass, to almost do this mm-hmm. bounce pass through the middle. And I think potentially we kind of we kind of flattered a bit in terms of doing it against opposition like MK Dons or doing it against Leighton Orient or whatever. But the moment that it came to the Premier League and things were more compact and more tight, suddenly the amount of chances we were having in a game really, really dried up. And then I, I sort of felt that Nuno, he, he pretty quickly abandoned that style that he'd been trying to build over the summer without a lot of his key players, obviously, as well. I suppose it's important to remember that from that point of view. He also had to manage the struggles of dealing with the, the various things that arose around COVID, Harry Kane, the, the players that were coming back late from the Euros and what have you. But it looked like he abandoned that style very quickly and then once he did, it was so hard to recognise any sort of patterns of play. And then it ultimately leads towards no shots in the second half against West Ham. Roll on a week, no shots on target in total against Man United. And I mean, for all of the, the talk that all of us do all the time around DNA and stuff, it's like regardless of what DNA you're after, it's, it's kind of understandable, right, that the fans got to a point where they couldn't really deal with it, Dan, when you, when you say there wasn't a single shot on target. Well, I thought the City game had a defined style and that is Nuno's style. It was a counter-punching approach that has worked against City before Nuno and, and worked under Nuno. Mourinho used it very well last season, I, I believe, and the season before. Um, would it, it would have been sort of like the season before last Last season, it got quite 
quite bad for him at Wolves, didn't it? He got to the point where they had got to become a fair. Sorry, I, I meant I meant ball. Nuno. Sorry, I meant Mourinho used a counter punching yeah, approach yeah, yeah, absolutely. last season and the season before, and Kicked then Nuno came in, used it. Yeah, yeah. And I think the problem with Nuno is he was a manager who became trapped between the style he knew how to play, which was counter punching. Conservative football, reacting to the opponent, stopping the opponent, looking to play a quick, exhilarating football on the break. He became trapped between that style and the style that he was expected to play at Spurs, which was progressive front foot football, um, keeping the ball and, and highly structured possession. Um, you know the, the type of football that Pochettino, Tuchel, and Guardiola and, and Klopp all play, but but it's frankly beyond Nuno, and, and that's not his fault. That's because the club hired the wrong type of coach and, and gave him unrealistic goals. Um, I think there were flashes of a coherent style in the first half against Chelsea. Um, Nuno then came out and said, I want to build on that. I like that approach. This is the way forward for us. It was completely abandoned the following game against Arsenal, where it was more of a direct approach, bypassing the midfield and trying to feed off kind of knockdowns. Um, so it was a complete mess. And I think Nuno bears some of the blame for that. But the club ultimately bears responsibility for hiring the wrong type of coach. Levy backed himself into a corner by talking about DNA, by talking about free-flowing, attacking and entertaining football. That wasn't Nuno. Um, so it, it, it was a complete mess. And it was absolutely the right decision to get rid of him because it was totally terrible and unsustainable, the football. Um, but the club now... And I'm sure we'll come on to this, but not only has to hire a, a good coach, and it looks like they might, but they need to, um, you know, they need some kind of vision for for the future, and they need they need some kind of coherent, joined up thinking about almost every aspect of, of how they're running the club. What well, one question I would also, I know that it's easy to to look at the performances and and kind of point fingers at, at Nuno and and also to kind of point fingers at things more holistically. One thing that I think Nuno can't or wouldn't be able to put on anyone else, Hunter, is, is the idea of perhaps the media side of things. Yeah. Uh, I think Spurs have had an, uh, a very high-profile manager last time out in terms of Jose Mourinho. Now, that's not Nuno's fault, but it felt like from the moment that Jose came in, there was an interest every time he spoke, regardless of whether he was uh, going to be positive or negative. It was interesting. Mm. Do you think it was difficult for Spurs fans to get their teeth stuck into what Nuno was, whatever Nuno was going to try and do, given his kind of almost slight reluctance, it felt at times, to really engage with those opportunities to speak to fans? Yeah, I think I think just in terms of whether you can buy into a manager's dream, I don't think we ever really got to hear what he wanted to do. And I don't think he felt brave enough to do it a lot of the time. Yeah, Dan, Dan's the one who had to go and spend the, the, probably more time with him than the, than the rest of us. But I know that he, he wasn't particularly uh, into doing the press conferences. He wasn't particularly, didn't, he doesn't go in search of media opportunities to sort of speak to people and explain what he's trying to do. And like, fine, that's for, I know for a lot of fans that's sort of relief from the, the, the constant <laughs> monotony of Jose Mourinho's nonsense. But the, the problem, I think, for Nuno is he came from Wolves where, although there's obviously pressure from the local fans, they have a, they have a really solid following. Spurs is a, a global club. You're going to have people 
asking you questions all the time, questioning what you're doing. It's going to be a tough period and you have to be quite punchy. You have to be sort of bold in, in, in what you're doing and, and believe what you're doing. And I don't think we ever really heard that. And, you know, they started his first press conference when they sort of got him to parrot what Pochettino said in his first press conference. Uh, it made me feel quite uncomfortable and I, I think it was a bad basis for uh, for what led on. Um, I mean, you guys, Dan can probably tell me better, but I'm, I'm not. I'm sure he's not the most interesting person in the world to sort of cover on a daily basis, just because he doesn't engage that much with the with the media. No, he was dreadful. But mm. I think he that viewed really the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he viewed the public facing stuff, the press conference format, as a necessary evil. He knew he had to do it, and. I don't think he ever shirked his media duties. I think he did them all, but it wasn't what he wanted to be doing. You know, he wanted to be on the training pitch. He was a coach first and foremost. But nonetheless, I did find it frustrating. And I think that there was a sense that Nuno just wasn't willing to play the game. You know, we all know, every Premier League manager knows what our jobs are and what the, you know, what the media are, are trying to do. Um, and even if they don't enjoy it or they don't really see the merit in it, I, I still think you know the vast majority of them engage and, and do kind of play the game. Um, and, and some, like Tuchel, um, just kind of seem to enjoy it and, and, and make the most of it. And you know, without giving anything away or jeopardising their position or compromising the club or anything like that, they're just able to answer almost every question very, very well. And, and Nuno just wasn't like that at all. He tended to just kind of communicate in cliches and, and generalities. Um, he didn't ever want to go into specifics about individual players. And I do think, you know, although journalists obviously massively overstate their own importance all the time and no one really cares if we're getting good lines for our papers or not, ultimately I do think Spurs fans got a bit frustrated with that from Nuno. You know, they wanted to know what was going on with Ndombele. You know, they wanted to know his view on, on Kane. They wanted to know, you know, why he thought Ali was continuing to struggle or, or what was going on with Winks. And he, he was just kind of totally unwilling to engage in that kind of stuff. Which, you know, I think from a club point of view, they, they found admirable that he wanted to keep all that stuff in-house. But definitely from a media perspective, and I, I do think from a fan perspective, it quickly got quite tiresome. Um, and you did really want Nuno you know, to, to kind of rise to the challenge of having greater media glare on him and, and just kind of play the game a bit more but but he just didn't do you think that as a result of that kind of slightly lacking media presence from Nuno combined with the fact that he wasn't necessarily someone who naturally commanded attention and authority in terms of the wider media space but also I guess the I assume the playing staff as well it just put him in an impossible position that he was never really going to be able to maybe change a narrative that, that would build and grow. So the moment that momentum sort of shifted, it was really hard to arrest that. Or am I sort of giving a little bit too much credit there? No, I think I think that's about right. Um, and I think with with some foot with some football managers, um, they sort of they get that style of style of play going, and then that sort of communicates what they're all about, and then you sort of see them unwind a little bit and then you sort of get to understand what they're all about. I think we saw that with, 
with Poch when he first started because he wasn't the most explosive in press conference. He was he was nice and um, and you know he communicated with the media well, but he wasn't it wasn't until sort of the end when he started talking about cows not knowing what the what the time trains were coming that he started <laughs> saying you know things that were a little bit odd and weird. Um, but yeah, he was he was very much sort of hung out to dry from from the very beginning and I don't know I, I just think fans have gotten sick of the you know the the we need to stick together statements every time a 3-0 loss came around the corner and I think I think there was a there was a Twitter post yesterday um quite early in the day that just that had a quote from Hugo Lloris saying now's the time for us all to stick together and the uh the caption was like a punch emoji and together and I, I think nobody really <laughs> appreciated that whatsoever while um there was so much of a there was so much of a circus going on um so yeah it was it must it must have been it must have been horrible for him actually you know as soon as you know the the, the, the first three one nil wins were out of the way and results started to turn quite drastically um so I do feel for him in that in that regard but yeah, change a change had to be made, didn't it? Really? Yeah, I think you, that's another really, really important point. That the goal difference at the moment is is worrying. Is it still? Um, is it minus seven? It's around that, isn't it? Minus mm. seven or, or minus six? Yeah, minus seven. It would be mm. close now, but that's at this stage in the season. I think that would, in terms of like the goal difference, that would, that would put sort of a fourteenth, fifteenth in the league, maybe for goal difference. Which, when you consider, we've got. The sorts of players that we have in the final third, realistically, I mean, I, we can do the Kane argument to, to death and people sort of criticising Kane left, right and centre. But the fact of the matter is, if you give Harry Kane chances, he didn't overnight forget how to take chances. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are bottom of basically every important sort of table that there is, like running... <laughs> running, shooting, running, defending. <laughs> like, like just, but it is like shots on target, lowest goals, one of the lowest. Um, you know, goals conceded, one of the highest, and then also just general, how hard are the team working for each other, lowest? Because that's what it comes down to, really. You know, Nuno can send them out on the pitch. He's not saying, well, don't cover so and so, are they? But even for like the Rashford third goal yesterday. Oh, yesterday on, on Saturday, where um, Romero's been pulled out to the right. Emerson can see the space. Dyer can see the space. Rashford is standing there. He's made that run three or four times before that anyway. And no one can, no one wants to, everyone's so like, well, I'm going to put it down to form, but everyone is so oblivious to him being there. And that sort of defending is a team that's broken. Like you can't, you just can't have that. There were a few of the goals were just like people giving the ball away and then you didn't see them trap back. I mean, you don't want to, like, I don't really want to pinpoint people, but Hoybier, when he gave the ball away to, or well, he gave the ball to Skip in a bit of a hospital pass I mean, situation. I don't think we can say that's giving, can we? <laughs> <laughs> Do your best with this, yeah. Bazookaed <laughs> it at him. Yeah. I know, yeah. But when he made that pass, so, so to speak, and then Skip did lose it because he was pressed to oblivion, um, his head just sort of went like, uh, and then he he was sort of just jogging back and not really trying to you know help out going backwards, which was pretty pretty that, that was, I'll tough be honest, to see. That, that was hard to when I watched it back after I didn't see it at the time. When I watched it back afterwards, I found that quite uh, quite difficult to watch because I've been a massive supporter of of 
Hoybier and, and and the things that he stood for when he first joined the side. Because I mean, we we fans obviously all have short memories, but Spurs were desperate for a defensive midfielder. We were desperate for someone to come in and just be pragmatic and sort of quite simple and just do the basics well, make interceptions, make tackles and set up patterns of play from, from a fairly central point in midfield. So to see him, particularly when you think back to, do you remember his post after the Brentford game when he took a big lump challenge off of someone? I can't remember who got sent off um, from Brentford in the League Cup semi-final. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And he put out a uh, put out a statement afterwards saying, "I'm a Viking, I'm a warrior, or something like that." I mean, the the reaction that we saw there, where he sort of just shrugged his shoulders a bit and meandered gently back at two 0 down. It sort of, I, I didn't, I didn't want to watch it. I found it mm. so painful. Um, but I suppose at the same time, one one last thing that we should point out off the back of that, I don't know about you guys, I haven't seen any players come out with the thank you so much boss I appreciate everything that you've done for us or whatever has anyone I mean I could be making it up but I haven't seen anyone post anything has anyone else seen I haven't seen any no I haven't seen anyone and not not that that's telling but I think the performance yesterday tells you all you need to know like whatever was happening on the train like you know the there was some quite heavy seeding this week, wasn't there? Like, all players aren't enjoying training. Players aren't this, players aren't that. It felt like the end of a cycle already. And I think yesterday on the pitch, you saw you needed to. Those players weren't weren't playing for each other. And, and again, United sitting in and just being comfortable to just allow us to have possession. That can't, that can't be the way. Ten, ten games in, with no idea how to break down a team. Everyone looking off form, you know, even Sonny getting into two chances and skying it. But just, it's just one of those things that you need to change it. And you need someone who can come in and, and the players are going to have to have the respect and listen to. And if it is the guy that everyone claims it's going to be, then that's how you, you might get that. You're not going to be able to just turn your head down if you lose a pass. Because as he said himself, it'll kill you. <laughs> well, let's, let's do it then. I mean, we're, we're, it's been quite strange watching this play out. I don't think, other than the transfer window, I don't think I've seen something that's so aggressively minute by minute in terms of the way that news is aggregated um, around a manager thus far. I suppose it's just the nature of the beast at, at this stage in time and that we've just got to kind of lump that. But it does look like all roads are pointing towards Antonio Conte. Uh, at the moment from every single source that you look at, of which I'm delighted to say we're joined by a tier one. Yes, thank God. Can you believe it? <laughs> Jude Summerfield. Ah, <laughs> you took that shot. I can't believe it. Put the gold medal around their necks. Have you been tiered yet? I don't think ninety. Men, I don't think ninety men has been tiered yet, but it's usually along with the long, uh, the lines of uh, you know football insider, planet football, and in our defence we get a lot more right than we get wrong. But yeah. still, we have we have a reputation, shall we yeah. say, going exactly. back a while. The people. I'm like. Have you been? Like, I think I've seen Sean tiered. Definitely, oh, really? has been taught. Sean's yeah, got think... pelted by Wolves fans before. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. What you said about <laughs> Liverpool liking 
It might have been Liverpool liking Jota or someone like that. I, don't, I can't yeah. remember if, that, if it was that it. far back. And then that happened. So Wow. <laughs> I, I've definitely, Sean's got a medal. I just need to find out what it is. And if, anyone does, if anyone does want to tear any of us. Yeah, we'll... someone tear me. Dan, what have you reported today? Well, Spurs are in talks with Conte. Um, I think the Italian media is ahead of the game on this one. Um, so they, Why do they, you think they, that is, that? <laughs> <laughs> Who's leaking them in for? Yeah. Who's got them like on speed I mean, <laughs> there, there, there are Italians on both sides of this deal, so of you know, we can't jump to any conclusions. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, they, they broke the story this morning that Conte was flying uh, into London today, uh, which is, is true. Um, and yeah, I, I followed that this afternoon. So I think at the moment that that's that's kind of all there is to it. Spurs are trying to get that deal done, um, and and there seems to be a lot more optimism now than there was in June, when when actually I think the extent of talks or the kind of closeness of a deal was definitely overblown. I think from some places in June. Um, but now I think it, it, it seems like it's going to happen. But obviously we've been here before and it seemed <laughs> like Fonseca was going to happen. It seemed like Gattuso was going to happen for a kind of glorious four hours or something. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, who knows? But it, it definitely looks like uh, Spurs are feeling a lot more confident about getting Conte, which I think, well, I think we're about to discuss it, but it's hugely exciting. Lead us in, Dan. But mm. nonetheless, let's do it. Well, I mean, my take is it's, it's, it's nuanced, isn't it? I mean, I think he's genuinely a world-class manager who is incredibly exciting a hire if Spurs can get it over the line and without doubt the best possible free agent manager they could get. There's no one else without paying a huge amount of conversation who Spurs could realistically get. Um, one of the top five coaches in the world he will immediately transform the power dynamics of the squad. He will immediately get that squad playing again, I think. But it's not without risks, clearly. Um, and I think it means a complete abandoning of the rebuild and the new cycle again um, in favour of a much more short-term approach from the whole club. Um, Conte is a combustible character, so is Levy. Spurs are in a difficult place um, there's not a lot of harmony around the place. So it's obviously, you know, the ingredients are there. It, it feels like it could be a bit of a tinderbox from day one. But nonetheless, he, you feel that Levy's reached a point after the failure of the Nuno experiment where he's really got to make this work. I mean, let's not be hyperbolic. He's not going to sack himself. But nonetheless, um, the, the, the feeling from fans, I think, would be so extreme if, if Conte went spectacularly wrong that it does feel to me like there's got to be you know some real concessions from the club and it it's very helpful that Paratici is is there because he will be the link between um the club and and the the football side the coaching staff and Conte if Conte gets a job and they've got a very good relationship so actually you know credit to Paratici got it badly wrong with Nuno and that's a black mark on his record but if he pulls off this deal, then you've got to say he's kind of justified his appointment because, you know, pulling off 
the, the deal for a world-class coach and one of the best in the world when the club's in this state and in the European mm. League. It could not have happened without him, I think. So, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there, but those are my sort of initial impressions of it. Jude, I think Dan, like Dan just said, I think we still put Conte in the, the world-class manager bracket, don't we? And it, it ultimately, at the moment, are there any other world-class managers available that Spurs could get a hold of? Not, not I can think of. Um, what, what, what I like about him is he's, he's sort of that, he's sort of a Winston Wolf character, you know, out of Pulp Fiction. He's like the fixer. He comes here and he, he solves problems. Um, and I think it's hugely exciting. I've, I've spent the whole day um, searching Conte ball into Twitter and getting great, uh, great videos of goals like that people like Matteo Darmian have scored for Inter. Like, <laughs> That was the thing, but that seriously is the thing. He got he got proper performances out of these um, quite horrible squad players, really, like Victor Moses in 2016-17, who would have thought that he'd have an incredible season like that. And it's it's nice that the way he plays is he pushes those those wing backs really really high, so you can you create those overloads up front like five v four. I had a little watch of a, a coach's voice thing, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, did you watch that today? Did yeah, you? yeah, I did. I did see that. Somebody Steve, retweeted Steve it onto Holland. my time. Yeah. Somebody I, I think I retweeted it onto your time. You probably did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, really this interesting. is interesting. Yeah, it was. it is good. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's, it is interesting to see who he'll get better performances out of. I'm looking forward to him seeing... You know, working with with the defenders as well, Christian Romero. If if like Spurs do end up playing through at the back, which we thought might happen with Nuno, but didn't Romero playing as whether well, he'll still be that sort of man who pushes forwards and make challenges like he likes to do. But the the players who might play alongside him, hopefully, it won't be a case of like the defense parting open like the Red Sea, like <laughs> happened for the third goal against United. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a really exciting appointment, and he's not a Mourinho light either because people I, he seems to be tainted with the same brush as like a winner with Mourinho when that's just not the case. You know, you look you go through Conte's teams, you see the instant improvement in each of them, um, and you know you won a title last last season as well, so it's a lot different. <laughs> and Hunter, what I sort of spent a lot of time going through. Like Dan said, it's so nuanced, but I reckon we've probably done about two hours of deep diving into the nuance today. What 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 has got you most excited about the prospect of Conte coming in? Well, I think as Dan said, without Paratici involved in this, I don't think this deal happens. So just in that sense, having a world class manager in in the helm at the helm would be just a complete game changer for Spurs. I, Spurs are in such a mess at the moment. I don't think you can underplay what a mess this the, the current team is in. And there are a finite amount of people who I believe can come in and, and make an instant Im- impact. And the the way he likes to play football is killer. It's cutthroat. Just more in terms of how he treats the squad. And it feels like a, a lot of this squad now have been drifting for a few years. And, and what we might see in, in January or in the summer next year is just a big turnover it will also he tends to as as you guys have sort of um touched on he tends to bring in people who've been left out in the cold sort of considered surplus to requirement and turn them into decent players and i i'm just excited to to see someone who i feel like is fully in charge of the squad 
because with Conte, there's no other way. He has no half, me- half measures. He's not sort of... And that's what will eventually lead to this blowing up into <laughs> flames and everyone everyone falling apart. But I de- genuinely just... To see a style of football again, because whether you like it or not, like, don't like it, Conte has a style of football and he makes it work wherever he goes or he at least brings it in. And I think Spurs have been rudderless ever since that. Ever since Spurs didn't buy a player for Pochettino in the summer, they've been rudderless because the team became tired, lacklustre. They couldn't do what Pochettino wanted to do. It eventually got Poch fired when he tried to go to that diamond formation. Then comes Jose Mourinho, famously doesn't, you know, doesn't have a particular style of uh, of play. And that's just continued into this season. So I'm really happy that we'll hopefully have a manager who can get back to at least giving Tottenham an identity again, albeit for 18 months. Are you, are you guys quite <laughs> excited about the idea of potentially having someone who's a bit of an authoritarian that, that can ultimately sit at the top of the, the pyramid and say, this is how things are going to be? Do you know, there's a way of going about it, isn't there? There's a respect thing. Because I think Jose Mourinho was supposed to be that in a way. But the way Jose goes about it is quite antiquated now. Uh, and, you know, it's been spoken about a lot in that, you know, players need a little bit more encouragement. Uh, I know that certain players have spoken out about how Conte is incredibly harsh on you, but he will also help you improve your game. He's not just going to completely get rid of you. He will try and improve you as a player. I just think that the Spurs team now, there's a there's a lot of parts that don't fit in a lot of positions. Um, but just that, you know, just having Conte, the idea of having Conte potentially getting back into a Champions League space and having Conte as your manager, that would be exciting to every Spurs fan. And it also becomes quite a good prospect. Because if you can turn around the football on the pitch, you do have a good stadium you do have the best facilities in the world one of the best training grounds in the world you do have world-class players uh, it is there but someone does need to sort of make it all make sense and, and he might be the guy for that if if he if it was to be content that comes in at the time of recording you point out that all we have to go off are the various reports that are essentially saying it looks like things could be sorted within the next 24 48 hours dan what do you think the ceiling is for this side this well, that's. I mean, not to dodge the question, but that's kind of what I'm excited to find out. Um, to go back to your previous question, is not the author- authoritarianism that I'm particularly excited about. Although, obviously, having someone with that gravitas will be important for the squad because you, you, you kind of wonder about how someone like Kane must have felt about Nuno. I mean, let's face it, he's mm. bigger than, than, than Nuno, really. It, it's not that element so much as the the second part that Hunter talked about just then which is just improving players and I'm so excited to kind of find out if Steven Bergwijn is a good Premier League player I, I just don't have any real idea I suspect he is I suspect Spurs did sign a, a properly aggressive um, skillful pacey winger and with an eye for goal but he's just not been coached at the club properly at all um, same is true, really, of Ndombele. Um, I'm excited to find out what you know what he can do. I'm excited to find out what Lacelso can do. Um, so I think the ceiling is is kind of whatever these players um, want it to be in, in a way. Um, 
I, I genuinely think, you know, you, you could make a strong case that Spurs haven't had a progressive, motivated and in-charge coach since those kind of heady three weeks before the Champions League final. So after that, Pochettino checked out, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, he, he wasn't all there. Um, Marine, then Mourinho came in and, and then we had Nuno. So I'm, I'm just really excited to, to, to see what Conte can do with some of these players. I mean, there's, you know, is Ryan Sessegnon going to be the, the next Victor Moses? I mean, just just little things like that. <laughs> I want him <clears throat> to be. <laughs> he but he brought this up earlier, Dan. He's desperate for it. I really <laughs> yeah. Someone asked me in, in a Q, in a Q and A earlier. I mean, I said he has to get fit first, and his hamstring's yeah. a big problem. But it's just little things like that where, where you think, you know, what Conte could could take him and and really take him up two or three levels, which we never really expected. Nuno to do and, and and Mourinho did do it with with Kane and, and arguably Son and did get the best out of some players but there, there was never a feeling that he was going to be able to do that um, with the kind of whole squad or, or, or play a, a progressive type of, of football based on you know this this kind of possession game that you need to win at the top. But I thought that was one of the things that I don't know about you Hunter I thought that was one of the things that jumped out of Lucas's piece players tribune wise that when Lucas talked about his relationship with Mourinho, you could basically see that maybe that would work for four or five people. But holistically, that wasn't a thing. And I don't know about you guys, I'm kind of hoping that if it is Conte, this will be a holistic thing. And there will be an opportunity that maybe Jaffet Tanganga might be able to work in a three at the back if he goes to a three at the back. Oh, I like it. Might mm. get yeah. to see. Yeah, but this is... I mean, there's, it's massive. It's, it's a, not to stick the boot on Nuno, but it does feel like an incredible oversight not to protect some of those quite dodgy defenders in a back three. Like, even if they are aren't dodgy defenders, Romero has thrived in a back three. I mean, Sanchez has probably been at his best for Spurs in a back three. Like, and you can protect defenders in a back three. I think what Spurs fans yeah, are I wonder at, if this comes back to Nuno just being trapped between what well, he, he absolutely was. What he yeah, thought what I mean. he should do at Spurs. Whereas Conte is the kind of coach who is going to have the conviction to say, this is the best way to play yeah. for this squad. He's got that authority. He's got that reputation and experience that, that Nuno perhaps just didn't have. I think you're absolutely right, Dan. I think, I think that's it. He was caught between a rock and a hard place, which was basically Spurs' DNA and the realism of what this club can actually do at the moment. And you're right that these guys can't... can't um, they can't hide behind the fact that, that, that Nuno can get it right anymore. That's, that's the difference. Like, there'll be no hiding. There will be, there will be players found out now. And that, that's quite interesting because I'd say that the, the, the squad is still fairly bloated in places. And there will be players who, who won't be here in a year's time. And you'd argue probably, wouldn't you, Jude, that just by there being someone like Conte in the technical area, if players aren't performing, there'll be plenty of others who would quite relish the opportunity to work with Conte that are maybe playing their trade elsewhere that Conte will have half an iron already. I mean, yeah, I mean, like it seems like we've, we've sort of stolen a march on Man United in that regard. So... Um... Ben's <laughs> <laughs> happy about that. You can't see, but he's absolutely delighted. Well, but it could, it could be really. I'm, I'm not, not to go too like you know, get your tin foil hat. But the fact that this is this has come before Man United play Man City at the weekend, which you know, let's be honest. Well, I know we haven't spoken much about the game, but we were just absolutely fucking shit yesterday, and. <laughs> 
and well, the, it, the, and United won't you know United won't have learned anything about how how good they are. They might pretend they have, but like they might pretend oh they kept Son and Kane quiet. Well, you know, so did the Arsenal defense, and so did the church. Like it's it's been done this season, is what I'm saying. They will learn next weekend whether they whether Ollie can continue that, and if he's found wanting massively. If they lose three or four nil, they will. They the, the pressure will be on instantly again to find a manager. And if Spurs have stolen the march and, and got who I'd consider to be the only absolutely world class manager available at the moment, readily available out of work, Zidane obviously is there, but I don't think he's quite on the same level as Antonio Conte. Then it's a really good bit of business by Peritici and and Levy, but. Yeah, as Spurs fans, we are sitting here going, well, we've wasted three months of the season. You find it quite hilarious how the United players are all coming out and being like, yeah, we really stuck together and we, uh, you know, we had each other's backs and it was just like, yeah, how was that, pal? You know, <laughs> we didn't test, you were not tested whatsoever. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, it, was, it was almost like, you know, when we lost to Arsenal and the Arsenal fans were all going wild about getting their club back and Spurs fans were going, God, we were dreadful. We were just dreadful. We decided not to play midfield. <laughs> that's that's what yes, that's what United was like at the weekend. It was a it was a Spurs being just abjectly awful. Um, so, but you know, it doesn't matter. Have you ever felt this good after a three 0 loss? Bizarre, isn't it? Never. <laughs> strange, strange forty eight hours off the back of that one. Like really, well, really we'll get so many weird stories in the next sort of at least tonight and tomorrow morning if it hasn't been announced. I mean, the the, the, the rumors are that the club have been told and players have been told to prepare for tomorrow morning uh, to do training with Conte and that he'll he could potentially take the Vitesse game on on Thursday. So we will see. Hectic, absolutely hectic. Well, look, we'll 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 leave it there. It's... No, wait, wait. I said. Oh, do you want to do questions? Do you questions, questions? And I have, I have to ask. Go on, ask away. Because we always always forget to do the questions. We're terrible for it. That's so I'm me. Going it's to... my fault. <laughs> I'm going to put these to you. I'm going to call you out individually to answer these questions. All right. So, Jude, and Jacob Colshaw asks. 18 months for 18 month contract supposedly for Conte. What are your thoughts on that? I thought that's quite interesting actually, because um it's it's probably one that he would have I'd imagine he would have put forward, right? He doesn't want to be stuck in a job he's not sure will actually work for that long. Um but then also if he decided he he didn't want to carry on after that amount of time, you never know what the situation is like at, at PSG. So mm. if <laughs> It comes off, and he's he's not a fan, and he doesn't want to do the long term stuff. You know, there there might be there might be a pot you can go and nab if he wants to if he wants to start over at Spurs again. But we'll see. I mean, the the obviously the ideal is that he comes in, he smashes it, he loves it, he wants to stay for longer. Um, but I think it it sort of gives, I'd say, both sides a, a bit of a safety net as well because you know, like yeah. Spurs could break Conte. Or Conte could break Spurs. It could go either way. Yeah. Very <laughs> so, true. Um, so, so yeah, I think if he got trapped in a five-year deal, I don't think it would do either side any good. So mm. I think that's a, a decent enough length of a contract there for sure. Right. Dan, 
What exactly do Conte's economic demands for his project look like? And what changed between this time and the last time to get Levy to agree to said demands? And that's from John Alvey. John is vastly overestimating my knowledge. <laughs> of, um, ITK. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to address the second bit first, um, mm. as I said earlier, I think both sides are probably more willing or perhaps more desperate for it to happen this time. Um, Spurs obviously know that they can't afford to, to take another punt after the Nuno gamble massively backfired. They, they need someone proven now, arguably more than they did in June. Um, and I suspect Conte is more willing to listen to them because he's got itchy feet and he's been out of work for so long. Um, I see a lot of stuff around about, you know, will, will Spurs back Conte or, or you know, more people moaning that the Levy won't back Conte but you know Spurs since they moved to the stadium have spent money you know it's mm. been sort of three summers of, of making a, a big signing um, or two so there's clearly is money to spend I'm sure Levy's feeling a bit more bullish after the you know boxing the return of fans concerts and, and stuff and you know stadium revenues coming in now um, so I, I think you know Conte will have money to spend you know I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he had you know over 100 million to spend next summer um, and I reckon the key will be, you know, his confidence that he can work with Paratici to kind of get better signings, better big signings than than kind of Ndombele and Lacelso have been so far. Yeah. It's funny that Spurs, Spurs are continuously beaten over the head with this, all this entertainment brand, blah blah blah, with people just completely bypassing the idea that that's how we earn money and that's how we then make bigger signings, like the NFL deal. Is a brilliant thing for the football club. Yeah, it's like, working. You, know, you can see the the uptick in spending since the stadium, mm. so it's you know going to keep happening. Right. So the, the, most of the questions are around: Do you think Conte will be given budget? But so the last one, I think we can answer together, and it's from Alex Purdy. He says, "If you're going to play Conte's sort of three-five-two, what's the best starting eleven? I love that question. Ooh. I love that question. And this is, bro, this is, uh, I mean, so we'll assume that Hugo Lloris is still here. Is, is it, is it, oh, yeah, start from the top of the pitch. Start with the two if you want. I think we all have no, the same no two. never start with the strikers. What's this blasphemy? <laughs> all right, we'll I start with the back. We'll start with the back. 11 to 1. We'll start with the back. Okay, so in goal, <laughs> I think we're all saying Hugo Lloris. Right? Um, the three well, centre back. Hold on, maybe the Italian influence. Gallini. Gallini <laughs> gets. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Earn it um, against the test. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the three centre backs. Who are you having as your left centre back? I am. Um, like, for me, everything is built on Romero now. Like everything is. So Romero is the centre of the three. And yeah. then, and then, I'm. Well, it doesn't happy. matter who the other yeah, two are. I'm happy for a buddy system. Honestly, I'm desperate to see Jaffet Tanganga on the right hand side of the three. I, I really, really hope that he gets a bit of time there. The only problem is Jaffet isn't. I know he's good in the air, but he's not the tallest. Romero's decent in the air, but again, he's not the tallest centre back, which does then mean you potentially need someone who's a who's a bit better in the air on the left hand side. Because it's one thing that all. 
that will never change. I don't think as long as we've got the current roster is that we do look susceptible to to crosses and set pieces. So uh, I'm not. There aren't really any lefty centre backs at Spurs at the moment, are we? Are we looking? I'd, at... I'd like to see Roden play. Joe Roden's lefty, isn't it? Playing out. I'd like really? to see Roden and and Romero. And then I really don't care whether it's Tanganga Sanchez or Dyer. I'm, I'm happy for Conte to make that decision. It will, it'll be <laughs> You'll let him have that. <laughs> as long as I can pick Romero and Roden. And we'll yeah, well, look, I'm sure Mourinho's told him that you're in charge really, Dan. <laughs> 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 okay, so let's let's say let's say it's Romero, Roden, and then let's say Jaffet, because that's what Ben Ben would like to see. Although I do think Sanchez could be incredibly It'll effective be in Sanchez. a three again. Yeah, Sanchez, Sanchez, yeah. I mean, that means dropping Eric Dyer, but, you know, moving on. Um, <laughs> what... <laughs> that's um, tough. <laughs> uh, right wing back. Right wing back. Are we, are Royal. We... Yeah, yeah, Emerson, yeah. Stevie Bergvine. It's been spoken about on Twitter all day. Stephen Bergvine becoming a... I mean, look, that's what he tends to do. Lucas Moura could also... I mean, feel, I feel he could do a job at right wing back, but... This is that, that I think it'll be royal to, to start. It's very FIFA. It's very FIFA yeah, to me. <laughs> that uh, he loves taking midfield. He loves taking midfielders and turning them into to wing backs. So. This is the. Hmm? This is when you start to drift from like the the, the dream Reality. of what Conte is into like oh my god there are going to be some upset people oh, play, if we play a three five two or a five three two however you want to look at it because there are only three spots in the middle. So left left wing back then I assume it. Regulon for everyone. Reggie. Reggie. Yeah. Although very interesting to see if Sessegnon can sort of he's injured at the moment, isn't he? But it'll be interesting yeah. to see what, what he looks like when he comes That's back. It. Wing back always suited him at Fulham. That's sort of yeah, a bit higher up the pitch. I um, also, I mean, like that, at Fulham, like I know I bleat on about this a lot, but I watched him a lot at Fulham. And when he played in that kind of more advanced role, it does remind me a little bit of what we saw with Victor Moses, who seemed to be just bombing on and drifting into the back post. Do you remember he scored that goal against scored us it. in the 2-1? Yes. Ericsson scored that gorgeous goal, sort of left foot 25 yards, and then Chelsea kind of turned it around. And Moses scored the winner, but he did that a number of times that season where he'd kind of attack late and arrive late and then be on the overlap on the far side. And I think that yeah. could be a possibility for Sessegnon if, if he's... Well, yeah, never forget how many. I mean, I think Spurs fans have probably forgotten he's even there, to be honest. But he was the wonder kid at one point and was scoring goals for fun in the championship, which isn't an easy league to score goals for fun in. So let's hope he can come back. Okay, so this is probably going to be the, the, the place that, that's it's for the place who struggled most all season in, in central midfield, I'd say. Who would be your starting two central midfielders? Because Ndombele and Hoiberg for me. And Hoybier, are we happy with that? I'm. I would go Hoybier as your holder, and Dombele doing the the kind of like stuff in between the lines. And then I, I'm still, despite par- uh, uh, parody accounts, I am still clinging on to the idea that Geo could could sort of do that advanced position. Dan, this is the first time I've seen you since you berated him for taking too many touches, and I still cannot get over the idea that you, you, a man of such high regard for Eric Lamella, think that Jairus also takes too many touches. <laughs> I just, it's it's another level, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but 
maybe, maybe it's the, the, the standard of touches haven't been amazing recently. Yeah. So like, look, he goes away to Argentina. He got two men on the match performances. He wins the Copa America. Messi speaks about what an important player he is. He's clearly not a bad footballer, is he? No, no, no. I so, would, ha- I'm, I would initially, I think I might be tempted to have Lucas um, behind mm. Kane and Son, who I assume everyone's going to pick up front. Just because I think he can be quite effective at number ten, he adds a he adds a bit of pace and a bit of unpredictability there. Um, he's obviously not a playmaker, a memo to Nuno there. Um, <laughs> but, um, and to Mourinho, I'm sorry, Mourinho yeah. started him in ten. But I think initially I might be tempted to have him in there, but yeah, I'm certainly, as I said earlier, very keen to see what Lascelles can do at club level with um, a proper coach. One hundred percent. Okay, so that's our team. We'll put it out on the social channel so everyone can see it. Yeah, but I'm it, quite keen to see what other people go with because I think yeah. this would be it'd be a real mixed bag, won't it? There'd be a lot of very different opinions on who should occupy those three positions. But there is like so we've got so many wide forwards. Mm. We've got so many. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, yeah. You can get Brian, one back Brian out Hill. of uh, we Brian Healy, yeah. Yeah, Brian Hill, Brian Stephen Berg, Brian Healy. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I'm sure tomorrow we'll we'll know a lot more. Well, and we've got a game on Thursday. So, like, I mean, we've got a game on Thursday. We've then got Everton at the weekend. Is mm. and then we're into that. We're almost we've got one more game. We're almost into international break, aren't we? On the thirteenth, is that mm. right? Thirteenth, fourteenth weekend is the international break. So yeah. So I've just seen a, a tweet from one of the many aggregators saying not one single Tottenham Hotspur player has produced a goodbye post from no no yet on their social media. Which yeah, uh, was, uh, that's. I don't know how I feel about that. But, I was but maybe just thinking, like, who who would have been whose whose standing is now higher than it was when Nuno took up. There's no one who yeah, could really be like Ollie Skip started more games than he than he has ever before for Spurs. But there's nobody who really would have benefited that much from it. So maybe none of them felt too much. The Telegraph have just reported that that Conte will. Spurs players are ready for Conte to take training on Tuesday. We'll see. We'll see. I don't think they are ready. (laughs) (laughs) We'll uh, we'll feel like absolute dickheads if tomorrow it comes out and it's Fonseca. So we'll see. Well, look, one to watch out for. Um, Mm. We will be back next week. Um, Hopefully on next Monday for you all. Sorry we've been away for a couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, let's see how this one plays out. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) It could easily be this Thursday. We've got a new manager in the dugout. So, um, yeah, looking forward to chewing the fat on that one uh, next Monday. As ever, if you want to follow the guys on social, their handles are in the description. If you haven't subscribed and you would consider it would take one second to do, we'd massively appreciate it. Keep the shouts coming in on social. We are at a What A Night pod. Uh, and we'll see you all next Monday for a bit more Coys action. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.